honor and privilege to worship together on the Lord's Day. We'll be focusing on worship this morning as we study together. In particular, we'll be narrowing our study all the way down to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. We were able to study together this past Wednesday evening concerning the Lord's Supper, some mistakes and sins that people make in the religious world about the Supper. Whenever I study the Lord's Supper, it causes me to reflect in a greater way. I want to share some of those reflections with you uh, this morning about the Lord's Supper. I want to share these thoughts with you as more of a talk with you this morning than um, an exhortation or proclamation. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper. We will, well that's very interesting. Uh, we will, where did that come from? We will um, focus on the features of the Lord's Supper and then try to look behind some of these features to help us to worship uh, better. I want us to consider the authority behind the Lord's Supper, that it is a command from God. Command from God. After all, it is the Lord's Supper, according to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. It's the Lord's Supper. Belongs to Him. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 21, we read about the table of the Lord. And we read about the cup of the Lord. It is His Supper. So first of all, think of with me, it is His Supper. His Supper. When Jesus was making His way toward the cross, the evening before the cross as he and his disciples observed the Passover meal, he began to talk to them about something new in the kingdom of God that was coming. And this would be the Lord's Supper. We can read about this in Matthew 26, 26 to 29. And notice the commands of Jesus there. He says, take of this bread, take, eat this, for this is my body. And then he gives a command concerning the fruit of the vine. He said to them, drink, all of you, drink of this. For this is, the, this is my blood of the New Testament. This is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Notice the command. It is his supper. His supper. Over in Luke 22, in his record of this, Luke 22, around verse 18 and 19 Jesus is talking about the bread and he's talking about the fruit of the vine. And then he looked to his disciples. He said, this do, this do in remembrance of me. Notice how he commands that this uh, be done. It reminds me of when Jesus finished the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 37. And he tried to apply it to the lives of those standing there with him. He says, which of the men... Uh, proved himself neighbor to the man who was injured. They said, 
uh, the one who showed mercy. He said, go do thou likewise. So I want us to notice that, first of all, it is his supper. His supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23-24, Paul speaks of the supper, the Lord's Supper. He said, he said it like this, For I delivered unto you that which also I received. I received. You see, Paul spoke from the very authority of the Lord himself. Well, how do we know that? Well, if you flip over to Galatians chapter 1, notice how Paul speaks of his authority. Uh, from the Lord in Galatians 1, uh, verse 11 and 12. He says, I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not after man. It's not man's gospel. For neither did I receive it of man, neither was I taught it by man, but I received it at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus himself revealed this to me. And so Paul, as he spoke of the Lord's Supper, he says, For I deliver unto you that which also I received. In 1 Corinthians 14, 37, Paul said to them there, I certify to you that what I write to you, they are the commandments of the Lord. So let's first of all observe this morning that it is His Supper. His Supper. He commands us to eat of this supper. After all, he is the father and we are the child. He is the master and we are the servant. He is the creator and we're the creation. He's the potter and we're the clay. He's the king and we are his subjects. He, he demands that we take of his supper. What's he doing here? Well, you see, the Lord knows the Lord knows that we are a rebellious people and that we need His authority. Look with me to Isaiah 65 and verse 2. Isaiah 65 verse 2. The Lord to His people in those days, He said, I stretched out my hand all the day long unto a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good and who follow their own devices. Now that describes all of us. We are a rebellious people. Therefore, we need the authority of God in our lives. If it was up to us, there would be no supper. There would be no worship. There would be no salvation. Left up to us, we would go our own way. We are a rebellious people. Left up to us, we're going to find other devices. We're going to find other schemes. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God made man upright, upright, but man sought out many inventions. Man sought out many schemes. That's us. We're rebellious. We think our own devices. We think our own ways. We think our own schemes are good enough or even better we need the authority of God in our lives. And Jesus commands the eating of the Lord's Supper. A second thought this morning together, I want us to think about this. It's not only His Supper, but it's a memorial supper. It's a memorial supper. 
as Jesus says in Luke 22, 19, this do in remembrance, in remembrance of me. Paul rehashes those same words in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, 24, and 25. This do in remembrance of me. When we eat of the supper, as we will here in just a little while, we keep in memory the body, the blood, and the resurrection of our Lord. The bread represents the body of our Lord. And the fruit of the vine represents His blood. And the day upon which we are living right now represents the resurrection of Jesus. All three of those ideals are combined in the Lord's Supper. You see, all three of these ideals make salvation possible for anyone who's willing to come. Think about the body of Jesus. Jesus himself said in, in John 10, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd does what? He lays down his life. That's right. He lays down his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus has done. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus gave himself up for us that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Romans 5 verse 8, God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His body, his life, he gave it up for our salvation, but also his blood, his blood. Ephesians 1 in verse 7 says, in Jesus Christ we have our redemption through his blood. Raise those letters out for a few minutes. In Jesus Christ, we have our redemption through His blood. Even the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. His blood. Notice these wonderful verses back in Romans 5, 9 and 10 this time. 9 and 10 this time. You'll want to put these together. Romans 5, 9 and 10 says, We are justified by His blood. We are reconciled by his death and we are saved by his life it's just really truly amazing how Paul just combines all that together there in those few verses which are so meaningful to us so we are justified by his blood we are reconciled by his death and we are saved by his life you see salvation is made possible through the body life of our Lord and through his blood, but also through his resurrection. Also through his resurrection. Notice Romans 4 verse 25. Notice Romans 4 and verse 25. Where Paul says Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. He was delivered up for our trespasses. And he was raised for our justification. Again, notice Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Paul says, If Christ be not raised, then our faith is in vain, and notice this, and we are yet in our sins. And so all three, the body, the blood, and the resurrection of Jesus make salvation possible. And it is that that we are remembering because it's a memorial supper. You see, God knows how forgetful we are. 
Oh, we are forgetful. Aren't we forgetful? We are forgetful people. This is illustrated again and again. I have to always think about Joseph of old in Genesis and how he was in prison. And he was such a good prisoner that basically he ran the prison. He interpreted the dream of the butler. And as he did, he looked to the butler there in Genesis 40. And he said, now, this dream means that in three days you're going to be restored back to your old job of, of providing drink for the king. And when this happens, remember me because I'm a Hebrew. I was unjustly sold here. I am unjustly in. Please remember me. But at the end of that chapter, Genesis 40, around verse 21 or so, it says that he forgot Joseph. Joseph remained in prison. Doesn't that tell it all? I mean, we are forgetful people. God knows this about us. Does anybody know us any better than God himself? And can we see why he brings to us this memorial service, this memorial service? Supper. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, Forget not all his benefits that he has shown toward us. Why is that command there? Because God knows we are forgetful. We are. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and also Deuteronomy chapter 8, as the new generation of Jewish people are going to go into the promised land, much of the old law is, is rehearsed before this generation. But there's a warning given both in Deuteronomy 6, 11, and 12 and Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 18. When you go into this land, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a good land. It is a productive land. But beware, lest when you get full, you forget God. And that's exactly how it is. The more full we are, the more forgetful we are. We're not talking here about God looking for a, a photographic memory. We're not talking here about God looking for a scientific mind. We're not talking here about practical wisdom or book learning. We're talking about a person's choice, a person's choices, a person's personal passion, you see. It's not, it's not about smartness and wisdom. Solomon is one of the wisest men on earth in his day. And yet what happened? He turned his heart away from God to idols. Okay. God's not looking for book wisdom or practical wisdom or financial wisdom. He's looking toward us. He's looking for us to make those insightful choices to put the Lord first and foremost in our hearts. It is a memorial supper because we are a forgetful people. It is His supper because we are rebellious people. And then in the next place, notice it is a frequent supper. Frequent. It is a regular supper, which is well established in the scriptures, uh, as you know. Acts 2.42, 
we read concerning the early church that they continued steadfastly, notice those, those words, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, but also in the breaking of the bread, that's the Lord's Supper, in the breaking of the bread and in the prayers and in the fellowship, they continued steadfastly. It's a frequent supper. And God has set that time for us, and that, of course, is the first day of the week. First day of the week. That is established by passages like Acts 20, verse 7. Here in Corinth, we read from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 20 that their coming together was to partake of the Lord's Supper. And then you jump over to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, and they came together, it says there, on the first day of every week. In fact, God has always set the time for his feast. If this was a Bible class, we could take the time to go back to Leviticus 23 and notice the old feast of the old covenant, the, the feast of Passover and the feast of, of Pentecost and the harvest time, the, the ingathering feast and the day of atonement. And even we could even go back and study about the Sabbath day to remember it and keep it holy. But God has always set time for his feast and so he has done with his supper today, the Lord's Supper today. Just think about this. We shared this Wednesday night, but just think about this. If there was no set time, if there is no set time for the Lord's Supper, then wouldn't once in a lifetime be okay? I mean, what's the command from Jesus? The command from Jesus is, this do. Okay. If Jesus has not set the frequency of it, if he has not set the time for it, then wouldn't you be obeying the command from Jesus if you just did it once in a lifetime or twice in a lifetime? But we know that's not the case. The Lord has clearly put it on the first day of every week. It's a frequent supper. Now ask the question, why is that? Why is that? Well, the Lord knows about us. Do you believe that, that the Lord created all of us? Do you believe that he knows each of us inside and out? Do you believe he knows what's best for us? Do you believe that he's able, able to provide exactly what we need? Of course you believe that. And so here we are at the supper, and the Lord has made the supper a frequent event. Why is that? We see the Lord knows that we are a distant people. We are a distant people. We, are, we wander away. We stray. We stray. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone away. We have turned everyone to his own way. We wander away. At the end of the book of James chapter 5 and verse 19 and 20, the the admonition there is to go after those who have wandered away from the truth. They just wandered. Just wandered. We, we're, we're at the right spot and then we're not. We're here and then we're not here. It, it's almost the very nature of human beings. We're easily distracted. We're, we, we start right and then we don't finish well. We are a scattered group. The Lord knows that about us. He knows that we are a distant people. That's why social media has worked so well in our, in our land is because we love the distance. 
We love the distance. We don't have to be there in person. We love to be able to, to make ourselves known without actually having to get up and be there uh, in person. The Lord knows that about us. And He knows that He... He knows about us that we like to keep Him at arm's length. We, we would love to have a relationship with the Lord, but not have to grow near to the Lord. But James 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Somebody says, why do I have to take the first step? Well, you don't, and you didn't. Who left heaven and came to this earth? God's already taken the first step. He's already come near through His Son. He's already come. We didn't take the first step. He did. We read in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, not that we love God, no, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, He initiated all this. He's already come. Now it's time for us to draw near. And we draw near through these emblems. We draw near through these wonderful thoughts of these emblems. I was talking to Brother... Paul, who's leading singing today, I said, if possible, let's, let's sing the song before the supper today. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. How much that accomplishes in life is beyond measure if we will draw near draw near. It's a frequent supper because God knows that if, up, if it's left up to us, we'll just stay back. We will not seek Him. We will be comfortable in our distance. What about God commanding all this constant business? Just constant business. He, he wants us, according to Psalm 1, to meditate on His Word day and night. Why is that? Nearness. Nearness. Why is it that in 1 Thessalonians 5, we read that we ought to be praying without ceasing? Because God, because God wants to be near to us. Why is it that Luke 9, 23, Jesus teaches to take up your cross daily and follow me? Nearness. Nearness. Why is it that we want to seek out and worship God as much as possible? Why is it that we come together on the first day of the week to observe the supper? Nearness. Nearness. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. It's a frequent supper. But then, in the fourth place, it is... It is a visual supper. It's a visual uh, supper. It has emblems as we see here. It has literal, physical, seeable bread and, and fruit of the vine, juice. I think about Joshua 4, the time when Joshua led the people coming on into the promised land, but they had to come over the Jordan 
And God cut off the river Jordan upstream so they could walk across on dry ground. And before everybody was the Ark of the Covenant. And then God had Joshua set up 12 stones, stones on that, on that side of the river so that they would be able to see those stones. And those stones, what did they represent? The stones represented the power of God, the cutting off of the water, and the Ark of the Covenant. And what's inside the Ark of the Covenant? The, the Ten Commandments, that pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. What's on top of the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat of God. What do those stones represent? They represent the power of God, the mercy of God, the, the law of God, the, the authority of God, the provisions of God. Those stones, boom, 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 they represented it automatically, some very precious thoughts in their minds. So it is with us, bread, 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 body, life, sacrifice, punishment, suffering, payment, our Lord. Okay. Juice, fruit of the vine, blood of Jesus, cleansing of our sin, purchasing of the church, great wisdom of God, the blood, the blood, the day, the day, boom, it just automatically throws into our mind. The day is also the resurrection day, which shows the power of Jesus, which shows his fulfillment of a promise, which shows great hope for us for the future. It shows that our faith is in good standing with our Lord. It's a visual supper. God knows that sometimes we have problems learning. So he has set it up in such a way that these emblems can automatically set off a, a, an array of great thoughts and scriptures for our minds. Think about this for a second. Jesus said when he, when he took the cup, he said, this is the blood of the covenant which is shed for many. The blood of the covenant. You see, Jesus' blood certainly is for our cleansing. But the blood of Jesus and the New Testament, the covenant, are inseparable. They are tied together. If you read from Hebrews 9, 15 to 18, it shows you there that a, a, a testament or a will does not go into operation until the death of the testator. Okay. So Jesus' death and blood made the New Testament operative. It, it made it come into full swing. It, it made it come into impact for the entire world. The old law nailed to the cross. Now we have the New Testament. And so they are tied together. If a person is rather casual about the partaking of the Lord's Supper, that is showing that really he or she doesn't have much regard for all of God's will because the blood of Jesus ties us to the entire New Testament, including the life of Jesus, his, his birth and his teachings and his miracles and his suffering and his resurrection, his ascension up on high, the establishment of his church and Christian living and the hope for the future. The blood ties us to all that. If we're just rather casual 
hit and miss about the supper, then that is showing disregard to the entire will of God itself. On the other hand, if we take the supper on a regular basis, and yet we're not in full commitment to God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, then that shows a serious lack of understanding because the blood of Jesus ties us to doing the whole will of God. If I partake of the supper today, that I am recommitting myself to doing the entire will of God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what's happening. It's a visual supper. And finally, it's an internal. It's an internal. It's outward, visual. But mainly, it's an internal supper. Internal. God is working on our heart. We'll read here from 1 Corinthians 11. Notice the dire consequences associated with not partaking of the Lord's Supper in a heartfelt, sincere, scriptural way. 1 Corinthians 11, 27. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sickly among you and many Sleep. You see, it's an internal supper. God is wanting us as we partake, as we think about what He has done for us. He wants us to reflect on our aims. He wants us to reflect on our actions in life. He wants us to reflect on our attitudes in life. He wants us to examine ourselves, not others. We're not here to examine others. It's an internal supper. It's a personal internal supper. We're here to examine ourselves. You see, the Lord knows that left to us, we can be very superficial. Very superficial. As the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 18, 7 through 9. I said Matthew 18. Matthew 15, verse 7 and 8. Matthew 15, 7 and 8. The Lord says, This people draws near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, the Lord is looking for internal worship that comes outward in these acts. Paul warns in 2 Timothy 3, 5, 6 and 7, that some have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. A lot of folks go through the motions of worship, but they don't ever really worship. We suggested together, as we were discussing Wednesday night in our class, that if a person came to church on Sunday morning and was in worship here physically, but for some reason or another, as he or she partook of the supper, 
that perhaps something from life just kept him or her from really ingesting the thoughts that need to be ingested at the time of the Lord's Supper, that it would be totally proper and appropriate and even right for that person that night if he or she doesn't feel that they really partook of the Lord's Supper inwardly and outwardly, that they could go ahead and take that supper that night because they didn't really worship that morning. See, it's an inward. It's an inward supper. And let us remember this as we close. Let's just ask this question. Do do I want to be accepted by God? Then my worship's got to be acceptable to Him. At least that's the lesson from Cain and Abel, right? I mean, what's the, what's the major, right away, what is the major difference, difference between Cain and Abel? Well, God received Abel's worship, rejected Cain's worship. Therefore, Cain was rejected and Abel was received by God. See, it goes hand in hand. If my worship is not acceptable, I'm not acceptable to my God. I think God is trying to conquer things in the Lord's Supper. He is trying to conquer our rebellion. And so He brings the Supper to us. He is trying to conquer our forgetfulness. So he makes a remembrance out of it. He is trying to conquer the distance between us and him. And so he makes it frequent. He is trying to improve our knowledge. And so he gives us these visuals. And he's trying to take away our superficiality. By saying examine yourself. Examine yourself. The supper. What a great institution. It may be that some of these scriptures has jerked at your heart a little bit. It ought to. Maybe it can help us to draw near to God. Maybe we can worship in a more meaningful way. But most of all, maybe it can lead us to walk with the Lord. It is all about that, that body, that blood and resurrection of Jesus and we can come in contact with that great event by being baptized into Christ according to Romans 6, 3 and 4. Baptism properly observed is predicated upon faith in the Lord Jesus and being willing to turn from our sin, being willing to confess our faith. But baptism puts us in contact with the body, the blood and resurrection of Jesus. Do you need to come this morning? Please come right now as we stand together and as we sing, Brother Paul.